on what counts as Christ, what counts as Christ. And um, the first uh, few verses here, from verse number 1 down to verse number 9, are really dealing with the aspect of salvation. From 10 and on, we're dealing more with service, we're dealing more with growing as a believer. And so I want you to keep that, that in mind as I'm talking about this. That's why when I talked about the three warnings or the three dangers uh, involved here, we talked about uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the concision. That's in relation to the gospel message uh, and how there are those out there that will pervert and twist the gospel message. And if that's what happens, uh, people don't get saved. Uh, they're doomed if they believe something other than the death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. And uh, then last week I started talking about three traits of true believers and what really should mark a true believer in the way that they think, the way that they operate. And the first one we looked at is that true worshipers worship God in the spirit, in the spirit. And that, that just really kicks off a whole thought process of, the fact that God works from the inside out. And we don't do things because we're trying to gain access to heaven. We do things because of what God is doing inside of us. And our worship, and that word worship, really just means an aspect of service. It's about surrendering to the Lord because you love him so much. And that worship uh, comes from the inside out. It's not something you work up on the outside so you can bring it up to God. It's something he's actually doing through you from the inside. So you worship in spirit. Uh, Every time you submit to the Holy Spirit of God telling you to do something, you are worshiping him. Every time you're following him and doing what the Lord wants you to do, that's an act of worship. Uh, You worship that which you spend your time at. You worship what your affections are are holding on to the thing you love the most is what you are worshiping the thing that is controlling your life that is what you're worshiping amen and so when the lord is inside of you and you're following him that is true worship in the spirit that's why there must be regeneration you have to be born again i love that language in the scripture it really sets it really really sets uh Uh, the right doctrine in mind when you're dealing with people that are trying to somehow gain heaven by their religion. Uh, And there are people that do that. They try by their actions with one another, they think somehow this is going to gain me access to God. And we looked at that last week. And maybe I'll just pull up that graphic once again there, Ben, if you can. And remember how that there's God, there's regeneration. He works in our spirit And then through our spirit comes our religion. Amen? Pure religion is this. Visiting the fatherless and the widows and keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Religion is how we behave among people. Salvation is our relationship to our God. And you can't have pure religion this way until you have salvation this way. So anybody that's trying to establish salvation by religion is coming up empty. Because God says, I can't take anything that you offer. All that's been offered has already been offered that I will receive. And that is my son. So you come to me based upon what my son has done. 
and they will establish your regeneration. When you're regenerated and my life is inside of you, now I can work through you to impact your religion. Amen? And like I said, it's a flow. It comes from God to the world. And it's only one way. It doesn't go back. Amen? And when we go from God to the world, that obedience, that love is an act of worship to the Father in heaven because he's the one that's doing it inside of us. Amen? And so it's very important because religion will teach you, and many religions will teach you, that salvation is unknown. So let's just work really hard at religion, and then somehow you're going to reestablish or establish that salvation with God. It's impossible. It's impossible. You have to have Christ in your heart before you can truly serve him. You can't serve him without Jesus in your heart. Because the only thing acceptable to the Father is his Son. That's why the things that you do are by the faith of Christ. If you're doing your own thing, he's not pleased. But when you're doing what Jesus does, then he's pleased. Jesus is the only thing that impresses the Father. Amen? This is my son. Hear ye him. Three times the Father's voice came from heaven. This is my son. (laughs) In him I am well pleased, he said. He never said that about anybody else. Only his son. So if you want to please the Father, you've got to establish a relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen? And so that's important. So worshiping in the Spirit, and we talked about that, and the temple, our bodies are the temple of God. But number two, I want to talk about True believers boast in Christ Jesus. They boast in Christ Jesus. Now, we boast in a lot of things that we ought not to be boasting in. But you know, the one thing we ought to be boasting about is Jesus Christ. It says here in Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. So this word rejoice means to boast or to glory or to exalt Jesus Christ. That's what we do. So this is going to be a mark of a true believer. When we talk about things, it'll be Jesus. When there's credit to be taken, it'll be Jesus. When something good happened, it's because of Jesus. We always lift up Christ, never lift up ourselves, because, folks, we are just truly not worthy of that. Amen? And so Paul is saying in this passage that unlike the dogs... Unlike the evil workers, unlike the concision, the true worshipers of Christ boast in Christ, not in anything else. Romans 11 verse 18 says this, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Amen. He's saying, don't be boasting on your branches. You got some pretty good branches there. Oh, you're a pretty good Christian. You do a lot of great things. Oh, wow. You know, great branches you got there. Hey, those branches are nothing without the root. For without me, he says, ye can do nothing. Amen. Psalm 34 verse 2, it says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. That means when you start boasting on the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are humble before God, they're going to say, you betcha, 
I love that. They're going to say amen and amen and amen again. They're not going to be saying, hey, but what about me? <laughs> you know, folks, that's not a humble man. Humble man doesn't point at himself. A humble man points at the Lord Jesus Christ constantly for everything. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. This church, that's what this ought to be about. It ought to be about lifting up Christ. You know, the local assembly, it's not about an individual. It's not about me. <laughs> Folks, I don't want my name in lights. I don't want people to say, oh, oh freeze. <laughs> usually when they say that, it's usually negative. <laughs> but I don't want them talking about me. I want them talking about Jesus. Isn't that what you want? That's why when you're walking around, you say, hey, pastor, well, I want to do something around here. Why don't I ever get picked? That's you. That's you. That's why you're not getting picked. You put Jesus first, and guess what? The Lord will pick you. <laughs> You, you exalt him and the Lord will pick you. He'll use you. He'll open up doors of opportunity for you to go forward and do whatever God wants you to do. There's no man holding you back. It's just a matter of whether you're boasting in Christ or not. Amen? We have no church without Jesus. We have no purpose without Christ. We have no abilities without Christ. We have no blessing without Christ. We have no direction from God without Christ. We have no salvation without Christ. He has done it all. It's all about Him. We are nothing. Amen? I know, folks, <laughs> we're dirt. <laughs> we're dirt. He took us from the ground and He made us out of dirt. God's not dirt. Jesus Christ is the God of heaven. He needs to be the one that we lift up. Don't brag on yourself. Don't boast on yourself. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in him. Amen. John 15 verse 5. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Amen. In other words, nobody's standing in your way of bearing fruit for God. Nobody. Well, if I could just do this, if that person, then I could do something for God. If you're not doing something for God, it's simply because you are not abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem. Amen? That's my problem when, <laughs> when I'm not producing fruit. Number one, rejoice in Christ's heavenly anointing. I want, you to sh I want to show you something here in this passage. It says rejoice in Christ jesus now does it matter that it says christ jesus like why not just say jesus why not say the lord but in this passage it says christ jesus it's interesting that that's the way it, it is in this passage of scripture the word or the name jesus christ is mentioned about 198 times in the new testament the lord jesus christ is mentioned 82 times christ jesus is mentioned 58 times christ jesus is used mostly after the resurrection by the apostle paul now what happened from jesus christ to christ jesus amen now this may not a big be a big deal to you but i think because the lord put it that way it's important amen in fact by the way a lot of the new versions of bible they remove a lot of those names they mess with them all the time they change around. I don't want them changed. If the Bible says Christ Jesus, that's what I want to read. 
Amen. If it says the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what I want to read. I want to read exactly those particular titles in that order. Now, Christ is the title, the heavenly title, while Jesus is the earthly title. So it's interesting that after the resurrection, the Apostle Paul starts calling him Christ Jesus and not Jesus Christ. He's putting the heavenly aspect before the earthly aspect. You understand? Rejoice in Jesus. He is the anointed, and that's what the word Christ really means. It means the anointed one. It's, it's, it's synonymous with the Old Testament word where we get our word Messiah. When the Old Testament Hebrews, when they heard about the word or they used the word Messiah, they were talking about a specific anointed one that would come to do something that was going to be very special. Amen. And they knew that this Messiah was going to be of God. It wasn't just going to be a person, wasn't just going to be a prophet. It was going to be a very special person. But you know, there is no name attached to the word Messiah. We have the name now. We were given the earthly name because God sent his son, the Messiah, the anointed one, down to earth. And he took upon himself a man's name. Many people in that day were called Jesus. It was probably confusing. You seen Jesus today? Yeah, I saw him over the no, not that Jesus, the different one. <laughs> now today it's not that common. <laughs> Even though people still do do it. But you know, we need to rejoice in Jesus as the anointed Messiah. The anointed Messiah. That very special person that came from heaven for our sins, to die for our sins. The Lord taught us in the Old Testament, that he would anoint a king for his purpose by pouring oil on the head as a symbol of God's spirit. When they went to David, they would anoint David with oil. Whenever there was a king, they would anoint that king to say, you are the specific one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one for our salvation. The Bible says in John 1, 5, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse number nine, it says, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Amen. I always thought about that verse, you know, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You think about light, spiritual light came from heaven. It didn't come from earth. It wasn't down here. So as the Lord Jesus Christ was looking down at earth, he's seeing darkness. There's no light. Complete darkness. He is the only light. He is the light of the world. And so he says, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to be a light to the world because they're in darkness. And the Bible says that the darkness comprehended it not. We were so... Uh, uh, distracted and we were so corrupted by our sin that we couldn't understand the light as it came. In fact, many people when the light came, they said, oh, I don't want to see the light. I don't want that light. And the Bible says they ran away from the light. And the Bible says that is a condemnation. That light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. 
How many times have I gone to a door and talked to people and I tell them, hey, I'd like to tell you about salvation. Oh, I don't want to know that. Do you know? No, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> when they're saying that, they're fulfilling John chapter 3, verse number 18. This is the condemnation. This is what's condemning you, sir. What's condemning you is that the light has come to your door and you will not hear. And you will face hell because you loved your darkness. And the Bible talks about the blindness of the heart. And that's exactly what's going on in this world today. The blindness of their heart. The ignorance that is in them. So light is equated to knowledge. But not just to any knowledge. To the knowledge that would bring them to salvation. But they say, I'd rather stay ignorant. Light is associated with purity. Purity. And righteousness, but they want to remain in the darkness because they love their sin. I had one guy, I gave him the gospel one time in a small town in Manitoba. And they were sitting around in his garage. They were all drinking. And I told him, I said, I'd like for you to understand what the gospel is. He says, no, I don't want to hear about it. I says, why wouldn't you want to know? He says, because I know that if I would listen to what you've got to say, I'd have to give up this. And he held up his bottle of beer. Now, folks, you understand that quitting drinking isn't going to save your soul. Nor is drinking after your salvation going to condemn your soul. But what will condemn your soul is when you exchange your sin for salvation. That's what condemns your soul. I love my sin. I'm not going to give it up. I know that Jesus fell over there, wants to take it away. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Condemned. Condemned. 1 John 4, 2, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. You can have people talking about Jesus. But folks, it's a different thing when you say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. If he has come, that means he didn't start down here. He came from a different place. See, that's Christ's pre-existence. That's what the, uh, John the Baptist was talking about when, when he said that he is, uh, he is preferred before me because he was before me. And John the Baptist was six months older. He's six months older than Jesus as far as earth is concerned. Yet he says he's preferred before me because he was before me. Uh, John, you're older than Jesus. He was before me. Pre-existent. He's God. Amen. He didn't begin in the manger. He didn't begin in the womb. He didn't begin there. That was just something he took on himself so that he could take upon the form of man to die for you, to pay for your sins, amen, to connect a fallen world to a heavenly God. And that's the only way it could happen if God, if Jesus Christ became that mediator, that go-between between God and man, amen. But he didn't just start down here. He came. So any religion that does not teach 
that Jesus Christ came from glory to give his life. It's, it's of Antichrist. It's of Antichrist. And there's a lot of it out there. A lot of it. There is only one Messiah. There is only one that brings salvation to the world. There's only one that can pay for the sins of the world. There's only one. No other person could ever have paid for sins except Jesus. There's only one that can please God in a sacrifice. And the whole Old Testament pointed towards it. Every time they they killed a lamb, an ox, a dove, a goat, whatever it was that they sacrificed, every one of them would have on it in the Lord's mind, that is my son. That is my son. From the first one, when he killed that animal in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve, he looked at Adam and Eve and says, this is my son. This is what he's going to do for you. And then after that, he says, offer a lamb. Cain brings up the fruit of the ground. Here, take an apple. Take an orange. Take some wheat. Take this. He says, no. This is my son. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Don't be giving me an apple. Give me a lamb. And throughout the whole Old Testament, the Father was preaching His Son. His Son, the Messiah, the one that's coming. He will come. And one day John the Baptist stood out there and he saw Him coming and he dropped everything. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Oh, after thousands of years, he's here, folks. Why aren't you falling on your knees? Why aren't you crying where you are? This is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one that has come from heaven. Turn to him. Amen. If you're a true believer, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, the anointed one. You rejoice. You boast. (laughs) Other people are saying, well, I do pretty good. I'm a good Baptist. I'm a good Christian. I sing in the choir. I'm faithful. (laughs) You look at them and say, you're nothing. (laughs) I'm nothing. (laughs) He's everything. Get it right, man. You've got no right to boast. You've got no right to say you're worthy. You've got no right to say that somehow there's something in you that pleases God without Christ. It's all about Him. I'll tell you something. If we would have kept that in our hearts and minds as early Mennonites, when Menno Simons broke off from the Catholic Church, we have not would have turned to a work salvation. But we began to exalt ourselves. We began to boast in ourselves. And that's why. Oh no, it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about Jesus and you. True worshipers, true believers. No, it's all about Jesus. Your salvation has this much to do with you. All you did was like a children, a child at Christmas time waiting by the tree to get your present. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's all you did. You received what was offered. Amen. But I'll guarantee you this, 
every part of the work was done by him. Every bit of the suffering was done by him. Every ounce of blood was shed by him. Not you. Today, even in the state of Utah, they have the firing squad as the capital punishment. And the reason why they do that is because the Mormons teach that by the shedding of your own blood, you atone for your sins. So you do not have capital punishment without the shedding of your blood. So when they shoot you, the blood comes out. And so they actually equate that with salvation. (laughs) I'm sorry, you can shed all the blood you want. It adds that much to your salvation. It's all about his blood. What he shed on the cross for us. Amen. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Specifically Christ, anointed one. The Messiah, the one has come from heaven to do this for us, even though we are sinner, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came anyways. <laughs> he looked down at that earth, black, dark, sin-loving, wicked, ungodly people deserved to be just simply burned right there on the spot. He says, I will come. That's who we rejoice in. There is not one person can get close to that. Amen. You want to measure yourself in the eyes of God? There's only one measuring stick, and that's the cross of Calvary. You put that cross of Calvary up to your life. And I'll tell you, you haven't hit the bottom of the cross yet. But he put himself upon that cross. And he spread his arms wide. Nobody knows the true depth, the love of God, the breadth, the width, the all-encompassing love that God has towards mankind. When he was on that cross, his arms are spread out. He says, hey, I'm dying for you. All of you. That's why we rejoice in him. Don't you be listening to these evil workers, these dogs, these concision that tell you somehow you have something to do with your salvation. My friend, that is a false gospel. And it will send your kids to hell. If you add that much of yourself to your salvation, you're going to hell. That much. It it has to be all him. All him. Matthew 3.13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. See, that Holy Spirit coming down upon him was, was what the Old Testament was picturing. Every time they would anoint a king with the oil. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus was baptized this day, he wasn't baptizing, he wasn't getting baptized to get saved. <laughs> Amen. 
he was getting baptized to show you that he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that came to die for your sins. Amen? This is a very special time here. Rejoice in Jesus Christ the Messiah. Rejoice in Jesus Christ's earthly salvation. In Jesus, the word Jesus simply means Savior. <laughs> Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel was announcing who it was that Mary had in her womb, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. See, he's defining the name. He's saying the name Jesus means Savior. He is the Savior. We must rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior. In 1 Timothy 1.15 it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul. You talk about a missionary. You talk about a man of God. <clears throat> I would dare to say there's, there could even be one among us that could be like the Apostle Paul in his service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he says, you know what? When it comes to salvation, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He wasn't boasting on himself. He wasn't saying, I'm pretty good. You know, you know I saw Jesus up in heaven. I was taught by him. And you know what, I sacrifice a lot, and you know, it gets me a little clout with God. He didn't say that. He said, guess what? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So no matter how great of a preacher you are, no matter how great of a singer you are, no matter how faithful you think you're to the house of God, how much you serve God every day of your life, and you want to go tout that around and tell people, hey, I really, I'm a real Christian, you just remember, you're the chiefest of sinners. Amen. That'll keep you humble. Amen. And sometimes we have a tendency of doing that. We get saved. We understand that Jesus Christ saved us, but then we start doing stuff for God, and then we start looking at other people saying, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? And we start judging them based upon our example. My, my, my. You would do a lot better just exalting Jesus Christ. <laughs> Going to that person and saying, isn't Jesus great? <laughs> isn't he wonderful? I'll tell you something. If you can get people to love Jesus, they'll do anything for God. But if they don't love Jesus, they'll never do anything for God. Love is the motivation. <laughs> well, preacher, you ought to put the fear of God into them to serve him. No, he doesn't want us to serve out of fear. He says, by love, serve one another. And folks, if I can't convince you to love God, there's no, and, well, not only that, if, if what Jesus did for you isn't enough to make you love him, what in the world can I do? If the God of heaven, the Messiah, came down from heaven and gave his life for your sins and you believe that and you receive that and you can't do a thing for God, all my preaching in the world won't change your heart. I could give us a whip up here and start whipping you. You still wouldn't serve God. If you don't love him, you won't serve him. But if you love him, you cannot help but serve him. Do you understand that? 
I'm not here to force anybody to do something. I am just here to rejoice in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you how great he is, what he has done for you. And if you give every ounce of your life from this day forward, one day when you're looking back, you'll say, I wish I could have done more. But we're looking at it too much, too much. Come on, we can't be fanatics for God now. (laughs) This world is doomed. It will be burnt with a fervent heat. You know why we're here? To bring sinners to Christ. We're not here to develop careers, make a name for ourselves. We're not here to make ourselves great. We are here to lift up Christ until he comes again so that the kingdom of God will be built. And guess what? He will build us a new earth and then you can go have some fun. Amen? When there's no more sin. We've got a purpose here. (laughs) If not, then I would rather have Jesus just have taken me to heaven the moment I got saved. Amen? (laughs) There's a reason you're going through the struggles you are. This world needs to see Jesus. There's a reason some of you had to battle with your jobs in the last couple of years. The world needed to see Jesus. I sure hope you handled that right. Because they were thinking about Jesus the way they think about you. The one who talks about him. Amen? The reason why we go through sicknesses. Why? So they can see Jesus. I like the, the Jews came up to the Pharisees and they were wondering on John chapter 12. They said, sirs, we would see Jesus. They're looking around. They asked the wrong people. <laughs> they asked the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't going to point them to Jesus. But they were interested. Where is he? Where is he? Hey, hey, the reason why we're here today, sirs, we would see Jesus. You know, the Pharisees got all jealous. You know what they began to say? The whole world is going after Jesus. My goodness, man, we're losing our hold on our people. That's all they could think about. People were looking for Jesus. Many people, when they have a pulpit, they'll put that verse right up over here to the preacher that's preaching. Sirs, we would see Jesus. I might do that. So that everybody that stands behind this pulpit knows that we don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. I want to know more about Jesus if you're up here. If you can't rejoice in Christ and you can't boast on him, get out of there. If you're worried about what other people think and you being the big hot shot and you being the, the, the big Joe around here and look at me, I'm behind the pulpit, just stay away. I always say the church is a place where you lose your name. Amen. You lose your identity. Folks, I don't mind patting people on the back. I'll do it all the time. I think it's important that I show my love for you because I do love you greatly. And I may point out people and say, you know what, that person's been a blessing to me. But that's because they love Jesus. Amen? We need to do this right. There's another, I'm going to leave you with this last point. True believers 
place no confidence in the flesh. Notice what it says in verse number 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Those two are connected. Rejoicing in Christ and no confidence have to go together. Because if you have confidence in your flesh, you're surely not rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Confidence means that you're persuaded or not persuaded. I have no persuasion that my flesh is of any value whatsoever. Flesh is basically everything that we are as given to us by this world or through the world absent of God. Everything. Everything. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who, will, who can find. That means a faithful man is not a man that proclaims his own goodness. A faithful man does not proclaim his own goodness. These evil workers, these dogs, these concision, they wanted people to trust in their own goodness and their own obedience for salvation or fruitfulness. This way they could boast. They could boast in their flesh. They could boast in the other person's flesh. We do that a lot too. What we need to understand is that in relation to salvation, what makes us right enough to be able to stand before God has nothing to do with our flesh. Do you understand that? And I know, I grew up in the Mennonite world, you know what it had to do with, everything had to do with us. I had to somehow be enough to stand before God. Impossible. My righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. The rags that they would bandage up the leper with, that got soaked up with the pus and the infection. Those rags were good for nothing. They were to be taken off the wound and disposed of in a fire. They were fit to be burned. That's how the Lord equates your righteousness, your rightness. You're just a pus-filled rag that needs to be burnt. Whoa. Well, preacher, I'm offended. <laughs> well, hopefully after you get offended, you get right. Yeah, what I want to show you here, and I've done this before in my studies of Colossians, I want to show you a couple of things. I don't know if my thing's going to work here. The imputations. There's been three imputations, all right? First one is this. Adam sinned, and that sin was imputed to all of mankind. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Amen? Everybody sinned. And death has passed upon all of us because of one man's sin in the garden. So that's called imputation. That sin was charged to us. All right? The next imputation is mankind's sin was imputed to, the, to Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's why he came to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Amen? So this charge of sin on mankind has now been lifted off of us and placed on Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. And because of that, the father looked at his son 
He says, I can't look at you right now. And the sky went dark. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, I'll tell you why. Because mankind's sin was placed upon the sun. And he says, I need to turn away from that. And I was in that ball of sin. I was in there. You were in there. And he took it all on the cross of Calvary. The third imputation. Jesus Christ takes his purity, his righteousness, and he imputes it to those that believe on him. So the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, when I stand before God, I can't stand before him on what me being right. I stand before God on Jesus being right. It's his record. I don't stand before God one day and he'll say, oh, you know, you were such a bad sinner, but now that you got saved, I like you. No. He'll look at me and say, guess what? You have never sinned in my eyes. Because the record of Jesus is imputed to me. What the Father sees is his Son, in whom he is well pleased. And so he doesn't look at his Son and say, oh, you were so bad, but now you're good. He looks at his Son and says, you've always been good. You will always be good. And there's no way you can't be good. You are right. And I'm in Christ. And guess what? I go along for the ride because he saved me. Amen? If you think that you living right now, doing right things is keeping you saved, you are so deceived. You are so deceived. You are somehow thinking (laughs) that after Jesus Christ has given you his record of righteousness and you can stand holy before God, that somehow you've got to bring your record back in? (laughs) Guess what? You can't have both. You either stand before God on your record or you stand before God on Christ's record. Salvation, when you got saved, that was the choice that you made. That was the choice that you made. So if after you get saved, you're still saying, oh no, it's just about me. You didn't get saved because you didn't trust them. You're still trusting yourself. It's about imputation. Amen. It's about having his righteousness placed into my, onto my account. You know, so you see the next slide. It gives you all three of them together. Should be there. Can you pull that one up, Ben? There it is. So Adam's sin imputed to mankind. Mankind's sin imputed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's righteousness imputed to believers. That's why the Bible says, now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection. That's how you're saved. The death, burial, and resurrection. Notice there's nothing of you in there. There's no you. There's no, I did this, and I was baptized, and I went to church, and I tried really hard, and none of those things. (laughs) 
Folks, you are saved because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. If you don't stand perfect before God, you go to hell. That's all there's to it. That is salvation. Why is there no salvation? Why did we lose? Why, why, why did we fall in the garden there? Why did we fall from fellowship with God? Because of sin. How are you going to deal with sin? By stopping doing it? <laughs> no, because it's not your sins that are condemning you. It is the root of the problem, the sin nature that condemns you. You can clip all the fruit off your branches. Your root is still corrupt. That's what religion is. Religion is going to my tree and cutting off all the bad fruits so only people can see the good stuff. It doesn't change your root. And when he died, he didn't die for the fruit. <laughs> he died for the root. That's why he became your new root. And now you are his branch. <laughs> and now you produce fruit because you're connected in him, not in your sin. Amen? That's powerful truth. So salvation is based upon imputed righteousness, not personal righteousness. And you can't, you got to stop flipping those things back and forth. Because <laughs> you, you got to make your choice. Are you going to stand before God on your record or God's record? Or Christ's record? That's your salvation choice. I told you about the guy in Kenora, went to his door, told him how Jesus paid for his sins. He was all banged up in his face, bleeding, and just got in a fight, all mad, slammed the door. He says, I'll pay for my own. What he meant is, I'll meet God on my own record. You're going to go to hell. Amen. Galatians 6.13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So they add things to the gospel. They want you to do religious things in relation to salvation because they want to glory in the person, not in Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The Apostle Paul now, and I'm going to be done. I just want to give you a list of things here. Paul was giving us some examples using himself saying, I want to show you what is not acceptable to God. And he starts giving you a list of his own life. In verse number five, he talks about how he circumcised the eighth day. He says, if there is someone that could have confidence in the flesh, I could have more confidence in my flesh than you could. So he started to list all the things he, could, he used to have confidence in. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. You know what he was saying? I had the right upbringing. I had the right upbringing. My parents followed the law to the T. They brought me on the eighth day. I went through everything that was required as far as the church, as far as religion is concerned. And when I had it all right. But it wasn't right enough to get saved. Parents followed the law. He had the sign of God's chosen people. But righteousness is not found in your family line. Notice what he says of the stock of Israel. This means he had the right national heritage. These were God's chosen nation. They were the only nation originating due to a covenant with God. The other ones were all based upon language, upon geography. Israel, the only one that was created based upon a covenant. I'm of that stock. 
It doesn't matter what your national heritage is. It has no bearing on your salvation or your relationship to Christ. Notice what he says next of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, why is that important above the rest of the tribes? Well, you remember that only the tribe of Benjamin was loyal to Judah. It was, only, it was the only other tribe in the southern kingdom. All the other ten ones went corrupt after Jeroboam. It was a very special tribe. They were respected. A respected tribe. Whether people respect you or not, doesn't add to your salvation. He says, in Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, Righteousness is not found in keeping your heritage and language and remembering your roots. The world today is making that about everything. It's all about your roots. It's all about where you came from. It's all about race. It's all about this. It's all about that. You know, in relation to salvation, it has nothing to do with anything. He had the right language. He had the right customs. Roots can be good, but we cannot put our confidence in them. They are the flesh. As touching the law, a Pharisee, he says. He was strict in his adherence. Righteousness is not found in your religion. Or how strictly you keep your religion. A lot of people hold to that. Oh, look at me, because I, I don't care how strict you are with it. It has nothing to do with your salvation. I have the right religion. That's the flesh. Like I said, that graph, religion is, is always horizontal religion is not vertical salvation is vertical (laughs) amen don't you be counting on your religion whatever that includes baptism church service communion lord's supper whatever you call it has nothing to do with your salvation no matter how strictly you adhere to it amen so there's no righteousness there Here's another one. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. The word zeal means to be hot or to be fervent. There's some people, they think, oh, the hotter I am, the more fervent I am. That's what accepts me before God. Has nothing to do with anything. Jonathan Edwards, you know how he preached? I mean, my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith. He was monotone. You wouldn't look at that as fervent. But somehow, during his message, when he's preaching uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, the people in the church were grabbing onto the post, scared they're going to slide into hell because of the Spirit of God smiting their heart. There's no boasting in yourself. Your fervency. We're fervent, you're not. You're a fool. God can use a monotone if he wants to. <laughs> he can use someone caught up in a wheelchair if he wants to. He can use a paraplegic. He can use a deaf person. He can use a mute person. He can use anybody he wants. has nothing to do with how much you think, how fervent you are. Amen? Yet people hold on to that. There's no righteousness in that. Some, especially young believers, put a lot of stock in zeal. I remember I was there. I was saved, I, got, I was involved with the whole movement, I was in the college, I was one of the preacher boys, and woo <laughs> Take on hell with a squirt gun. And guess what? 
had nothing to do with God's plan for my life. Sometimes he uses you broken, lying on the floor. Way more than you charging hell with a squirt gun. Sometimes he uses you when you lost your job and you got no more paycheck and you're walking away and people are watching you how you're handling it. That, my friend, that, my friend, is what it's all about. Sometimes you're, you're sick and you're, your family's sick and you're, you're wondering, how do I take this? You know, that's when people are watching. I know I've been there. I've knocked on doors. I've been the whole fervent thing. I've been oh, on fire and all that kind of stuff. And folks, and I still get on fire sometimes, I think. But it has no righteousness apart from Christ. He does what he wants to do. And I've found that days that I thought I was just doing kaboom, I accomplished nothing for God. Other days I was broken and downcast and there's times I preach, I didn't even have a voice. I was so sick. I remember one time I had whooping cough. I was up there. I, could, uh, I had my, my eyeballs, my blood vessels were all popped, and I had my whites were all red. I went through a 100-day cough. <laughs> Every time I'd cough, I'd pass out and fall on the floor. Real zeal. <laughs> you know, I just kept doing what I was supposed to do, and the Lord just kept using it. There's times I had no strength in myself. I had no power, no, no ability to do anything. And I preached messages. I thought, Lord, how can you use me today? And you know what? God would bring people to the front and they'd be confessing before the Lord. It had nothing to do with me. I came to that point a long time ago. It has nothing to do with me. You sitting here today has nothing to do with me. I thank God for it. I go to God and say, I don't understand it. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it, but it's you, and you get all the glory from this. I don't care if they know my name. They forget me. I don't care. God, just keep doing what you're doing in these people's lives. Don't let them slip through. Amen? Zeal. How about keeping the law? He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This confused me for a bit. Paul followed the law blamelessly. What does that mean? Does that mean that God's telling us he was perfect? No. See, the law gave provision. When you did something and then you failed at it, it gave you a way to stay right with God. And so you'd have to go get a lamb and you'd have to make a sacrifice. He was saying that whatever he did, Whenever he messed up, no matter what happened, he always followed the adherence of a law. So that means if he would have had leprosy and would have been healed, he would have gone to the high priest, he would have gone through the whole thing that the Bible says to do. He followed exactly. And you know what he's telling us? He's saying, I count that but dung. There's nothing there that can save me. Verse 8 and 9, I'll read this to you and we'll be done. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of of Christ, the righteousness which is of God 
by faith. See, you don't want to be found before God in your righteousness. You want to be found before God in Christ's righteousness. So if that's the case, folks, boast on him today. Don't, don't be telling me that somehow, well, I don't know if I'm going to be saved because I did this or I did that. Well, that's boasting on you. Boasting on Christ is, guess what? I'm a failure. I've done nothing right. There's nothing good in me. And I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's a pretty profound statement. The Lord's going to look at me and say, you have never sinned. Because it's his record. Amen? Doesn't that bless your soul? That blesses my soul. I hope I'm not alone in that. Boast in Christ. Have no confidence.